Here we've got this marvellous, marvellous story that I'm so pleased has been recorded in scripture for us today. When it comes to a passage like that, of course, with lists of names, and gosh, in Nehemiah, as you've noticed, there are lots of lists of names, which to us today seem quite removed. But the truth be told is, is that until, in fact, even now, there are those in parts of the world that when they read the scrolls of Nehemiah will know that that's their ancestors that are being spoken of. Um, and, and so there is connection. Imagine that if you read the word of God today and there was a direct connection between you and the things that happened through your ancestors' lineage. How spectacular would that be? So whilst I do not rejoice for us in the reading of it, I rejoice for those for whom that is the case in other parts of the world. This has not been an easy story. And we're getting towards the end of the book by chapter 12. Just one more, just one more chapter left to go. A significant chapter, I think, left to go. But of course, we find the people of God who have... For years, centuries, been in this cycle of knowing God with them, from the Exodus and from that wonderful experience of God's presence by night and by day as they walked across the wilderness, of knowing the promised land that God had for them. But also, even then, of this group of people that despite God's faithfulness to them, were far from faithful to him. And herein lies the story of the Old Testament, arguably the New Testament, and arguably even today. That despite the grace and goodness of God, that we, they, turned their back regularly on the God who loved them. The book of Judges is this perfect example of this cycle that repeats itself over and over again where God sends the people, someone who will lead them, a man or a woman of God, who with passion will lead them forwards and bring them to a point of reconciliation with their Lord, only for them to turn their back on God again and find themselves in a pile of trouble, whereupon they cry out to God, as they did in Egypt of old. And God sends them someone else, and someone else. And so the cycle carries on until such times as the prophets say to them, you've got to get this sorted out. If you don't, if you don't, then you will be overrun. The land that God has promised you will be taken from you. And of course, this is the background to the story that we just read. The great empire of Persia has engulfed engulfed the people of God and the land, the promised land that God had given them. No longer can they call it their own. They're dispersed across the empire, held in captivity. Just before the book of Nehemiah, the previous governors of Persia had begun to let some of the exiles go back to the land that they came from. But the truth be told is, that was a tough thing to do because it was in ruins. And of course... You know the story. Nehemiah gets word that Jerusalem, the holy city, is wrecked. That despite those few that have returned, it's still absolutely decimated. And so, with heavy heart, with tears in his eyes, first and foremost, he does what? He prays. He comes before God. Be at your prayer meeting tomorrow night, good people. Before all else... 
at point of recognition that things are not perfect at this point in time, far from, he falls to his knees and he prays. And then God gives him a plan, which is, no, you will rebuild the walls. But that, of course, is not job done. He has to go to his king, the one for whom he works, in relative riches in the palace. And in fear and trembling, do something that not many people survive. Approach the king with a request, unsolicited, without permission, and finds that God has been at work. Shock, horror. (laughs) How wonderful the story is. That the king says, no, go, go, how long are you going to be? But go, go, and what's more, we'll send some troops with you. It's a difficult journey. We want to make sure you get there. And then Nehemiah asks for materials to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls. Pushing his luck, not really. God's prepared the king, sure. Use the forests, go for it. Brilliant. Jeremiah, sorry, Nehemiah goes back, and then there's this almost gut-wrenching, your heart goes out to him, where late one night he wanders around the walls. And as he wanders around the walls, or where they used to be, he finds them in ruins. He finds them completely wrecked and he recognises the work that is before him. Gathers around him those people of God who are prepared and with vision and with passion impassions them to work. Acts of worship and service in building of these great walls of Jerusalem again. Not, of course, without opposition. You've got Tobiah and Sambalat, the bogeymen of the book, who are constantly on all the time. And constantly picking, you'll never do it. Don't you hate those people? (laughs) But you'll never do it, people. I mean, Nehemiah's going, I think you'll find God said we would. (laughs) You'll never do it. And then when that doesn't work and put them off, well, then they actually go for proper attacks, you know. We're trying to really get in on them. Such that, such that the people building the walls have got their tools in one hand and their spear in the other. Interesting image to think on and dwell on that one, isn't it? But it gets to the point where despite those that would seek to put them off, those that would seek to stand in the way, not of Nehemiah's way, but of God's will, of course, they fall away. They don't succeed. God succeeds through Nehemiah and his people to restore the walls of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Here we have this chapter which we've all been waiting for. Surely we have. This has been the one that we've been waiting for, for the whole book. The one where the job is done, at least so it seems. The one where Nehemiah gathers the people together, this time not to build with tools and with spears, but with trumpets and with cymbals, because this is time to worship. This is time to worship the God who has led them, who has guided them, who has protected them, who has given them all things. And now, here are the walls, complete. Of course, I don't need to tell you that these are not just walls like your 12-inch thick things. You're talking between 15 and 20 feet at least. So it was wide enough to actually get a choir walking along them, or two choirs in opposite directions. These walls were big enough so that um, when the 
the song rang out of praise. It echoed across the surrounding area. Lovely verse in that passage about song ringing out and people around and about hearing the praises of God's people. Wouldn't that be great? Open the windows, open the doors, praise God and let the people hear. This is, this is worship of the true, the one and only God. We'll have some slides up on the screen. Now it's time to worship God. We're going to think about worship in just a moment, but I'm so pleased that you invited me whilst you were doing this particular, this particular series on Nehemiah. And you know that the, the church that I serve at the moment in Watch It has been through a building experience ourselves quite recently. I wouldn't say it was quite as grand as the project in Jerusalem, um, although at points it kind of felt as tricky. Um, and um, I, I tell you this story basically to, um, if you like, update um, in a very simple way the principles of what we've just been reading in Nehemiah. You, you know that the church in Watchit had a sum of money that it needed to spend on, on buildings, preferably. Um, and so um, uh, they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed some more. Um, and for about a year they prayed, and then felt that God had given them this plan, um, which I absolutely chimed with my heart, which was to have a place not that they could gather so much on a Sunday for their worship, but a place that would serve the community through the week. And so the search was on. Thing is, is that looking around Watch It and wandering around Watch It, almost felt a little bit like the ruined walls of Jerusalem. Um, uh, And for those of you that have known the town over a number of years, you'll know it's been a bit rough um, uh, for a little while. In the end, we found, next slide please, this beauty. Um, Isn't she wonderful? Harbour News, so cool because it's nowhere near the harbour and she didn't sell newspapers. Um, And hence, she closed down as a news agent. um, And uh, we bought this. There are those amongst us who can testify to um, the wrecked walls of 38 Swain Street when we first bought her. Um, Well, um, suffice it to say that there was a period of renovation, which was a testing period of renovation, with various knocks along the way and um, all kinds of um, bogeyman incidents that got in our way. Thing is, is, along and through it all, the people of the church, myself, were utterly convinced that this was not our plan. Frankly, and those of you who've known the situation at Watchit Baptist Church historically, this is nuts. <laughs> I mean, you don't do a project like this when there's however many of you there was six or so years ago and no, literally no money in the bank account. There was, there, was, there was a sum of money to spend, but we knew that there'd be a little bit more required than that. And in true kind of renovation programme style, it was a lot more a lot more by the time you start pulling bits off and finding the issues. You've just seen the degree of renovations that were required. God is good, and where God gives vision, he also gives provision. And that's absolutely, absolutely been the experience that we read in the book of Nehemiah. We, we, we preached through the book of Nehemiah just before all of this happened, and we did that on purpose, yeah. <laughs> This is, not the fir- this is not the first time that we've come, I've come to chapter 12 in the book of Nehemiah. Um, um, back in 2011-12, we were preaching through this book as well. Um, where, where God gives vision, he, he provides for that vision. Um, next slide, please. And here it is. 
now and finished and absolutely all paid for, every last penny paid for. And again, those of you that have walked with us through this journey and have known the situation since the start will tell you that what we're talking about there is a miracle, basically, which um, is still a little bit emotional as far as I'm concerned. I shouldn't be surprised of God, but I'm emotional at his goodness because we don't deserve that, do we? So that, if you like, is an offering from my experience to you today of this wonderful sense of God from point of crisis through prayer providing plan and vision and then providing for that vision until it's finished and completed so that it can be used for the purposes that he gave the vision for in the first place. There, there you go. There's, there's, if you like, my small and insignificant update on the great story that we read in Nehemiah of the rebuilding of the walls of the mighty city of Jerusalem. But for me, that's apparent. Um, I'll show the next slide in just a moment. But just to ask, you've got stories as well. I mean, possibly one's right next door to this building. Yeah? You've got stories as well of where, through prayer, God has given a vision, a plan, that he's seen through, such that it serves his purposes in the world. We have to come before God, do we not, and say, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. And when we're looking forwards, as you guys are at the moment, well, let's recognise his presence and his provision for us on the journey, before all else, on the journey that we've been on with him. This wonderful sense that God has given, not because we deserve it, but just because he's a God of goodness and generosity towards us. Thank you, God, for that that has gone before So thank you, God, for all that is to come. Even if at this point in time, we don't know what that looks like. Thank you, God, because good is to come. At the end of this project, we get to chapter 12 of Nehemiah, (laughs) at least our version. We cut the ribbon, um, and the people gathered, um, and um, uh, we worshipped. And um, uh, it wasn't just for one service of the opening, but for a whole season of our lives together, And to a a certain degree, still to this day, we come before God with thankful hearts. Not for bricks and mortar, but for seeing what he's doing through what he's provided us with. That's the point. That's the point. I'm not particularly as much of a fan on bricks and mortar as maybe some others are. But I tell you what, when God's in it, (laughs) then he uses those things wonderfully. There's, I don't know how many people go through the sanctuary every week. I think I counted 500, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Different people, most of whom are not Christians, every week who we have contact with. Great celebration, worship, unbridled worship. This is the picture that we get in this book, in this chapter, in Nehemiah. Next slide, please. But it's worth us thinking, okay, when it comes to worship... What are the principles? What is the heart of a worshipper? It's good for us at this point in time, after all the angst of Nehemiah's story, to consider some of the things that are apparent that we can learn about our heart as worshippers of God before all else. Thank you. Next button. Worship is a spontaneous overflow of a heart that is in awe of who God is and what he has done. The people of Israel had come back to their holy city 
most of them initially never believing that it would ever stand again. And the Tobias and Sambalats of this world, I'm sure they're the voices that we read about, there would have been others of disbelief. You'll never get it done. You're, you're. Well, here it is. It's done. And so they stand in awe of the God who has done all that he has. And we need to recognise the same. Whether it is in building projects or whether it is in the daily activities of our lives, let's come before God in awe of who he is and recognise what he's done for us. So that when our hearts turn to worship, it's not programmatic or out of a sense of duty, but genuinely an overflow from a heart that's full of gratitude because of the awesome God who has given us so much, who has done so much for us. Worship as a spontaneous overflow of a heart that's in awe of who God is and what he has done. Next slide, please. Worship as a whole life activity, not just Sunday church. You've heard this before, and so I don't really need to say this again, do I? But I will. Because it's always worth us remembering that actually our lives as worship, in all kinds of different ways, is what God seeks. I think sometimes as we come together for worship, if it becomes a sense of duty rather than an overflow from a grateful heart, if it becomes just something that is, well, it's Sunday morning, it's tenish, I need to head off down. If that's the sum total of why we worship, well, in other scriptures, read Amos about what God says about that. I hate, I hate that. In the street Bible, for those that love it, if I hear one more tambourine, I'll go mad, says God to those people who are basically going through the motions, but for whom worship has been reduced down to a sense of duty rather than a genuine overflow of gratitude from a heart. And when that's the case, why should it be contained to an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday morning? Surely it should be on Mondays as we recognise the blessings God's given me for this day. So my heart is given over to him in worship. Whether that be spontaneous song in your office... Go on, I dare you. Or whether it is silent prayer, or whether it is in a prayer journal, or in the writing of poetry that is worship for God, or whether it is in the actual work that you do that you recognise to be your worship of your King and your Lord. This is a daily activity, surely not just for a Sunday. Next one, please. Worship is an occupation of mind that leads to a preoccupation with God. What do you think about? What are the things that occupy your minds as you go through the week? All kinds of distractions, if I'm honest, come into my mind that crowd out very often God. I mean, they tell me I'm paid to be a minister. Um, You'd think that that ought to be kind of what I do. Let me be honest with you, Um, I'm a very human minister, um, and therefore I'm very failed, Um, and half the time the distractions of the job get in the way so much that I find myself not thinking so much about God at all. 
as the various issues and difficulties that people face and the problems that um, they carry. When that happens, of course, our lives are not going to be ones of worship. So how do we, how do we keep God at the centre of all things? Pray without ceasing, it says in 1 Thessalonians. How, how does that happen? How do, we, how do we keep God at the centre of our mind? Well, different ones might find different ways to do this. Maybe if you have small groups and discussions, this is a great one to share ideas. Um, some, for myself, um, I, I kind of print bits of scripture off, or um, uh, sometimes it's a fridge magnet. It nearly always goes on the fridge door, because I'm often there. So, so there, there's a good place for me to stick stuff like this. But sometimes it's a mirror, or sometimes it's on your keys, or just little things, phrases or words, things you might have written down to help you remember God's blessing on your life, or verses of scripture, that... Actually, these things are popping up all day. My phone, phones these days can be a right pain, can't they? But I tell you what, you can set them up so that every couple of hours, a little thing blips up and there's a verse of scripture right there in front of you. Um, You can do all kinds of stuff, whatever it might be, to try and bring God and his word into my very human failed existence in such a way that God does come back to mind. Others, myself included, have found actually an office. Praying an office through the day is quite useful, morning, noon and night. Others, that's slightly weird and freaky. That's fine if that's you. But actually, to get to lunchtime and to pray a prayer that maybe is a learnt prayer, but nonetheless that you pray that, means that at the middle of the day you are bringing God into that situation. And whatever you're doing, God becomes the preoccupation of your mind. The occupation of your mind that leads to a preoccupation with God. Next one, please. Worship is costly and involves sacrifice of who we are and what we have. It certainly did for the people of God as they were rebuilding the walls. There's all those lists of names. I think partly the reason there's those lists of names is because there is a sense of this cost me, my ancestors, so much. There was a sacrifice that went into this act of worship of rebuilding the walls that found itself in this great celebration that we've read about in chapter 12 today, eventually. Worship is costly and involves a sacrifice of who we are and what we have. The greatest act of worship is to come before the God who gave us life and to give our lives to that God. And that is not done lightly. That's not the remote reading of a prayer at the back of the tract and then sending the response form off to the Bible Society. That is a difference in your thinking, a change in your priorities, a totally different attitude to all kinds of things, relationships with others, your occupation, how you choose to spend your money, the reason that you get out of bed on a Monday morning. Yeah? Laying our lives utterly before God, totally before God, is a sacrifice. But it's the sacrifice of praise that pleases God the most. The God who gave us life for us to give our lives to that God. Next one, please. So another one. Lovely. Worship involves setting up reminders of the great things God has done in our lives. 
I mentioned that a little bit just before, but in the Old Testament, this happened in all kinds of ways. The stories of um, uh, these towers that are built, the cairns, if you like, that are built. Um, Bethel is one of those examples where God draws back to these significant places. And maybe that's something that you need to do in your life as well, to actually record in some way and mark that moment that you've been blessed by God. God will draw you back time and time and time again to those places. And our attitude of heart should be to worship God as we remember all that he's done for us in the past. A little idea coming up shortly. There we go. This is something, and I am coming to an end. This is something that we did in last year, 2014, as a church. It struck me that, if you like, um, the attitude of gratitude phrase, don't we all love that one, um, in the reality of life, it wasn't quite biting, if you see what I mean. So, uh, whilst it rolls off the tongue really nicely in a sermon, actually, um, in the reality of life on a Monday morning, um, particularly on a drizzly November Monday morning, when you've got a cold and you're feeling under the weather, the attitude of gratitude that you heard of the day before in the sermon seems far away somehow. How is it that we can actually, if you like, put down these markers to recognise God's blessing on a daily basis? I came across this project, and if you want to... Google it and look at it, please do. 365 Grateful, it's an international project that was started by um, a young lady in New Zealand who um, was suffering from um, depression, uh, illness of depression. Um, And um, she went to see a nun. You can watch the video if you want to. Um, I'm not sure whether this woman is a Christian or not. Um, But the nun had said to her, you're you're not recognising the things that are good around you. You're not actually seeing what you're blessed with. You're not actually being very grateful in life. So this uh, young woman, who um, is an artist and a photographer, a very creative person, that clicked. And so what she started to do was started to record. She, she recorded with photographs. The idea was one a day. And at the end of the year, she had, if you like, this big kind of mass of photos that reminded her of something that she was grateful for every single day. To use our language, it would be a blessing that God had given her every single day. Um, and, well, you can look it up and have a little think about it and see what you think about it yourselves. Some of her pictures were of grass, various different colours of green, that she walks over every day, but she's not appreciated the different shades of green. And one day she noticed them, so she took a picture of it. What, one of them is of a slice of pie. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> we all take pictures of our food. Go on, admit it. Um, Facebook's full of them. Um, um, but, but this particular slice of pie reminded her that for the first time in her married life, she recognised that her husband had been giving her the biggest and best slice of pie. And he'd been having one that was tatty a little bit. Or, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah? She'd never noticed that before. And she noticed, so she took a picture of it. That reminded her of the story. And all kinds of... It's, it's the simple things, isn't it? But we are so blessed... And to record those things makes the world of difference. There's a verse about being thankful. Next slide, please. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This attitude of gratitude, this celebration, this heart of a worshipper, this is something that each of us can do. 
Next slide, please. Here's what I did. Um, in reality, this looks like um, a board um, on the wall of my lounge, which is that bit. Okay? I wasn't going to bring it, so I took a picture of it. Um, they're just little pictures that I took. That, um, there's not 365 of them, as you can tell. But each picture reminds me of something that in 2014 I was very grateful for. And, well, I could tell you a story about each one, but I won't. That's what I did, but different people will do different things. Some um, wrote poems, and some had journals. One of the young people's got six journals now of gratitude, 365 grateful journals that she stuck things in and written poetry, and it's beautiful. And, um, and, um, and others, well, um, they wrote down the column of a Bible every day, um, the things that they were grateful for. But to have this heart of a worshipper, this attitude of gratitude, to actually do that in the reality of your life rather than just on a, a warm Sunday in July think, well, isn't that nice? What a lovely phrase. Well, actually, putting it into practice is what actually turns us into hearts of worshippers. I love the scene from chapter 12. Two choirs walking either way around the newly rebuilt walls of God's holy city with song that was declared and sung so loud that those in the surrounding villages could appreciate and hear it. And you can just imagine that those worshippers, they'd walk over the particular bit of wall that they'd been working on and with a sense of, thank you, God, they knew the sacrifice that that had taken. But there it was. God had been faithful. God had been good. They'd walk past the part of the city where maybe their dwelling was. They'd think, thank you, God. And then, of course, they went to the temple. And there in the temple, they praised God. I personally wish that was the end of the story because it would be a really good place to end. But there is another chapter. But since you've got two more sermons, I won't tell you about them. But it's a good chapter because it's a chapter of learning for us all. Last slide, please. Here's some lessons from the book of Nehemiah. These are ones that certainly we tried to learn as a church as we were going through. First one, pray. First and foremost, when crisis hits, when a time of uncertainty comes upon you, don't think, right, we've got to do think, no, we've got to seek God. Pray. For as long as that takes. It was a year in our case, pretty much. And then see what God reveals to you in terms of a plan. Ask God to help. Keep on going against ridicule, ridicule the Sambalots and Tobias of this world, against fatigue, against discouragement. They knew that in Nehemiah, we knew that in Watch It. All of God's people that follow his plan have known that some way or another in following God's plan. Keep going, persevere. Next one, confront personal issues. Remember that this is something that happens in the book of Nehemiah. Things that maybe are left below the surface. In our lives, it can be all kinds of things. Anger, frustration, selfishness. I'll tell you what, it can be in the lives of churches as well. I'm sure not you good guys. But there's so many for whom actually under the surface are issues of folks that are wanting control or power, of those who through selfish ambition want to raise themselves above the other rather than actually bowing in worship of God and serving their brothers and sisters. If those things just are allowed to rumble, they'll be the slow poison that kills 
whether that's my faith as an individual or our churches. They're the, that's the poison that kills. Nehemiah rooted it out and dealt with it. Next one. Not letting others distract us, which is so easy, because what we heard about going on down the road seems rather good, so we'll have a bit of that type of thing. I'm as much a victim as anyone else of things like that. Great story. Oh, we'll have to do that then. No, you don't. You have to do what God's told you to do. That's what you have to do, no matter how good the story is from down the road. Don't let others distract you with their good stories. Equally, don't let others distract you by putting you down. Next one. There's this wonderful chapter where together Nehemiah brings his people to confess their sins and their sins of their forefathers. This cycle of constant disobedience that I mentioned before. Actually recognising that that can't be allowed to go on, that they need to know God's forgiveness and release from that. And the last one is develop an attitude of gratitude. Worship God in all things. That's my prayer for you guys. That's my prayer for us in Watch It. My prayer for me as an individual. I hope that we can take these lessons from Nehemiah, so wonderful as they are. But let's not just hear them. Let's be determined by the Spirit of God and with the help of his Spirit to apply them to our existence, to our daily lives.